Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hardy's Happy Hour isn't your average happy hour. From 2 to 5 p.m., double sliders are only a buck twenty-five. Call it a charbroiled hour, a double beef hour, a whole lot of melty cheese hour. Call it what you want. Happy Hour at Hardy's is a good call. Offer for a limited time and only between 2 and 5 p.m. Price and participation may vary. That's not included. Blog Talk Radio.
Ms. Rand, do you have any comment to make about the prophecy that was made in Atlas Shrug? Only that I'm sorry it's coming through so exactly. If Rand was here today, she would point to almost anything that's going on in government right now and say, I told you so. A devastated economy caused by government intervention, leading to more and more and more government intervention, which makes it worse and worse and worse. What if all the brilliant creative people, the brilliant engineers, the brilliant inventors decided to stop showing up for work? This is her magnum open, right? This is everything. This is objectivism. This is her ideal man, finally realized in John Galt. She's got it all tied up, and she thinks this book is going to change the world. Because it is so radical, because it basically challenges 2,000 years of philosophy, that really can set some people off. Everybody practically came out against it. The left, the right, the middle, they were all against it. It was attacked in the most vicious terms everywhere, and nobody came forth. Nobody. I said, all due respect to you, Juan. John Gold says goodbye to America, 60 pages in your book. I will never give you script approval because I can't get the movie made. If I have to wait till you drop dead, I will have to do it the right way. Every time things got worse in Atlas Shrugged, they said, well, we need a new rule. We need a new directive. It's like reading the book. Did you know that 50,000 regulations were added during the Bush administration? The Bush administration. First, they tell us, you know, I'm in charge of the committee that is setting rules that could, um, you know, if you make bad rules, could destroy your industry. And then, you know, as they're walking out the door, they'd say, oh, by the way, how much money do you think you could raise for us? And that's the story of Atlas Shrugged. What happens when the looting runs dry? I'm challenging the moral code of altruism, the precept that man's moral duty is to live for others, that man must sacrifice himself to others, which is the present-day morality. Good evening. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Today's date, November 7th, 2011, A.D., beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, Old Town, looking right across at the Watergate Hotel from my window across the Potomac. What happens when there's no more loot to pilfer? What happens when the producers stay home? We've talked about this many times on this show. Oh, I forgot. We're here in the United States of America, planet Earth, third planet from the sun. Nearly 30 years after her death, 
Ayn Rand's novels continue to be widely popular, wildly popular. Just over a million copies were sold just this past year. Again. Atlas Shrugged alone is selling more today than it did when it was first published in 1957. More than one million copies. More. Especially among us tea partiers, Ayn Rand is being hailed as a prophet. How could she have anticipated more than 50 years ago More than 50 years ago, folks, a United States spinning out of financial control, plagued by soaring spending and crippling regulations. How could she have painted villains who seem to be ripped from today's headlines? There's a Wesley Mooch, who is the face of failed government programs. It screams like Barney Frank, doesn't it, of Massachusetts, who wants more and more power, even though everything that he's touched is turned to crap. There's Eugene Lawson, the banker with a heart, who, like former Treasury Secretary Henry Paulson and Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke, is ever ready with a bailout. There's Mr. Thompson, who, like President Obama, seeks to rally the country behind pious platitudes. There's Orrin Boyle, who, like President Bush, says that we must abandon free market principles to save the free market. And in the face of this onslaught, what can you do? What should you do? Like Rand's heroes, it's time to go galt. It's time to go galt. And many of the producers, the manufacturers, the inventors, the bankers, the captains of industry are now going galt. Going galt. Well, part of going galt is moving your corporation moving your profits, moving your wealth out of the country. Just taking a vacation. Just leaving. Going galt. Go galt. Retreat to a secluded valley or an island say, St. Croix, certainly not St. Thomas. I say St. Martin. Someplace like that. And try to rebuild. Well, will we do this only when the country collapses? Rand was asked these very questions in her own lifetime. Her answers might surprise you. In the 1970s, America was in deep financial crisis. A new word, stagflation, had been coined. Urban violence was rampant, 
And the power-seeking politicians like President Nixon, God rest his soul, instituted wage and price controls that led to, among other things, gas stations with no gas. Those of us who were around during that time remember the long, long gas lines, especially around the time of the OPEC oil embargo. How how people wondered, how could Rand have foreseen all of this? I've wondered this much myself many times during the course of my broadcast here on Blog Talk Radio. A lot of you know that I am a tremendous fan of Ayn Rand as a lady, as a person, and as a novelist, and as a philosopher. I have spoken about her numerous times on my show, and the new movie coming out, Atlas Shrugged, will be here next week. I will order, I have placed on order, more than 50 Blu-ray DVDs for my friends and family. A lot of you here listening to this show tonight are among them. I see I am John Galt in the house. I see new. I see Pendleton Marine, Stay Mad Radio, Swing Easy. All of you will be receiving a copy if you don't have one by the time mine gets to you. If you have one, pass mine along to anyone you know. I have screened this movie, and it is a great movie. It, of course, like many movies, leaves a few of the finer points out, but it gets to the heart of the matter. Was the solution, is, is the solution to go galt? And quit. Quit society. No. No, Rand answered. The solution was simultaneously much easier and much harder. So long as we have not yet reached the state of censorship of ideas, Iran said, one does not have to leave a society in the way the characters did in Atlas Shrugged. But you know what one does have to do? One has to break relationships with the culture. Disregard all the ideas, the entire cultural philosophy, which is dominated today. The what's in it for me? The where's mine? The idea that you are owed something simply because you were born into this world and you breathe air. Or, like many black folks out there, and I am black as well, who believe that they're owed something simply because, well, not simply because, that's oversimplification and, and, and not proper, but because their ancestors suffered the horrendous lives of slavery, that they, this generation, and even the generation before mine believed that they're owed something. Never mind that they suffered not one, not even close to what slaves suffered. Nothing like it at all. Most blacks live like kings compared to any slave. 
of the of of of, of the, uh, bygone times. But nevertheless, they believe they they're owed something for nothing. It's the mentality today that we're owed something. I recall my son, me being a soccer dad, my son playing soccer in the summertime. At the end of the summer soccer season, every single child received a trophy. There were no winners. There were no losers. They were all winners, and so there were no winners. That's the mentality that we're experiencing today because those people are adults now. My son is, an, is, a, is, a, is a 20, 23-year-old. He'll, he'll 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 be he he just turned 23. He is of that age where there are people who are seeking something for absolutely nothing. They believe it's owed to them. Now the fact that Atlas Shrugged is not a political novel, well, that might surprise you. But the book's point is that our plight is caused not by corrupt politicians. No, they're only the symptom. Not by some alleged flaw in human nature. No, it's caused by the philosophy of of ideas and moral ideas that most of us embrace. I'll quote John Galt. You have cried that man's sins are destroying the world, and you have cursed human nature for its unwillingness to practice the virtues you demanded. End quote. The novel's hero, John Galt, declares that a country in crisis, since virtue to you consists of sacrifice, You have demanded more sacrifices at every successive disaster. Does that sound like anything to you? Does that sound sound familiar to you? Our current president, the current administration, is seeking just that. At every crisis, he is demanding more and more sacrifice from the people of this great country. Shared sacrifice. You've heard him say it many times. America should experience shared sacrifice. What does that mean? That means that I should sacrifice what I have, what I have made, what I have built, my ideas, whatever wealth I have gained, so that someone else can have a little bit of it simply because they did not work as hard or were just unfortunate, matters not. Shared sacrifice. Now, during the big oil hearings a few months ago, an oil executive said to a Democrat congresswoman, Sheila Jackson Lee, that Americans do not want shared sacrifice. Americans want 
shared prosperity. But why isn't our current administration, the President of the United States, touting shared prosperity instead of his phrase, shared sacrifice? Well, John Galt, the hero of Atlas Shrugged, elaborates, and I quote, You have sacrificed justice to mercy. For example, calls to make home ownership accessible to those who could not afford it, and then bailouts and foreclosure freezes to spare them when they couldn't pay. You have sacrificed justice to mercy. The example I gave was my own, not that of the novel's hero, John Gall. You have sacrificed reason for to faith. This is John Gall speaking. You have sacrificed reason to faith. My example, attempts to prevent stem cell research on biblical grounds or blind faith that Mr. Obama's deliberately empty rhetoric about hope and change will magically produce prosperity. You have sacrificed wealth to need. Example, Bush's prescription drug benefit and Obamacare, both enacted because people needed free health care. You have sacrificed You've sacrificed self-esteem to self-denial. For example, attacks on Bill Gates for making a fortune. Applause when he gives that fortune away. Self-esteem to self-denial. You have sacrificed happiness to duty. An example, every president's Kennedy-esque Extortations to ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. The result. Why? Do you shrink in horror from the sight of the world around you? That world is not the product of your sins. It is the product and the image of your virtues. It is your moral idea brought into reality. This is a great country we live in, folks. Make no doubt about it. There are those who will say that this country is no good. Even our very own president, President Obama, has suggested that the United States is no longer exceptional. And in many cases, he has suggested that it never was. If we are not exceptional then we are ordinary. We live in interesting times. We live in an, an exceptional country. America is exceptional. But why? Why would the President of the United States, the leader of our country, suggest openly that we are not exceptional? This is what Atlas Shrug is asking us to question our ideas, our ideals. Rethink our convictions and philosophy of life from the ground up 
without doing so, it argues we won't escape future crisis. Strike the book. The book urges us. But intellectually, since it strikes, the strike means to reject the fundamental terms of your opponents and assert your own. Because that's what Ayn Rand's book is really all about. The original title of Atlas Shrugged was The Strike. Later, uh, Ayn's husband suggested Atlas Shrugged. Really, what it's all about is those who, those of us, and you may be among them, the producers, the people who generate wealth, jobs, who build things, who innovate, who invent, simply quit. Take your toys and go home. At which point, the United States, the country, and in fact, the whole world comes to a screeching financial halt. If Atlas Shrugged had been on your list of books, I've been meaning to get to, then consider finding out for yourself how the story published in 1957 so eerily captures the world we live in today and so beautifully presents a, word, a, a, a road to a brighter future. The book you can get almost anywhere now. You can even go get it at the library if you like. Or you can get a copy of the book, uh, you know, audio version. I've listened to the audio version on many of my road trips and thoroughly enjoyed it. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. In the meantime, take a listen to Ayn Rand's interview with, uh, with, with Mike Wallace. You might find it enlightening. I sure did. And I've played this a few times on my blog talk radio show. So for those of you who have already heard it, please forgive me. Is that your impression? Mike Wallace, Ayn Rand, is two part of this show. I've practiced it in my life. Especially with the movie coming out next week. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Conservative Report or Situation Report. I have not. This is Mike Wallace with another television portrait from our gallery of colorful people. Throughout the United States, small pockets of intellectuals have become involved in a new and unusual philosophy which would seem to strike at the very roots of our society. The fountainhead of this philosophy is a novelist, Ayn Rand, whose two major works, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, have been bestsellers. We'll try to find out more about her revolutionary creed and about Miss Rand herself in just a moment. And now to our story. Down through history, various political and philosophical movements have sprung up, but most of them have died. Some, however, like democracy or communism, take hold and affect the entire world. 
Here in the United States, perhaps the most challenging and unusual new philosophy has been forged by a novelist, Ayn Rand. Ms. Rand's point of view is still comparatively unknown in America, but if it ever did take hold, it would revolutionize our lives. And Ayn, to begin with, I wonder if I can ask you to capsulize, I know this is difficult, can I ask you to capsulize your philosophy? What uh, is Randism? Uh, first of all, I do not call it Randism, and I don't like that name. I right. call it objectivism. All right. Meaning a philosophy based on objective reality. Now, let me explain it as briefly as I can. First, my philosophy is based on the concept that reality exists as an objective absolute. That man's mind, reason, is his means of perceiving it. And that man needs a rational morality. I am primarily the creator of a new code of morality which has so far been believed impossible, namely a morality not based on faith. On faith. Not on faith, not on arbitrary whim, not on emotion, not on arbitrary edict, mystical or social, but on reason, a morality which can be proved by means of logic, which can be demonstrated to be true and necessary. All right. All right. Now, may I define what my morality is? All right. Because this is merely an introduction. My morality is based on man's life as a standard of value. And since man's mind is his basic means of survival, I hold that if man wants to live on earth and to live as a human being, he has to hold reason as an absolute, by which I mean that he has to hold reason as his only guide to action, and that he must live by the independent judgment of his own mind, that his highest moral purpose is the achievement of his own happiness, and that he must not force other people, nor accept their right to force him, that each man must live as an end in himself and follow his own all right, we're going to break in here because that clip is just about nine minutes long, and we don't really want to dedicate that much time to it, since, especially since I've played it many times here on my show. But who do you live for? We've had this conversation before. Who do you live for? Do you live for your wife? Do you live for your children? Now, it's very romantic to say, I live for my children. I live for my wife. I live for my dog. Who do you live for? Do you live for yourself? Do you live and breathe for yourself? And thus, by helping yourself, you inadvertently, and albeit nicely, help other people. Man living for himself. Not for the sake of someone else. We talked about the social security system and how pretty much you and me work to support someone else with the hopes that when we're older and we retire, that someone else will be working to support us. Your social social security funds do not go into some bank account so that you can collect it later 
it goes to someone else. Someone right now. Do are you, so pretty much you're working for someone else. Pension funds in New York, just to just to name one example. Folks who are paying into pension funds for the New York City Fire and Police Departments are paying for someone else's pension. Their dues, the funds that they are they are accumulating in every uh, uh, excess amount that is coming out of their check is paying for someone else's retirement. So for every 150 police officers, well, that a group of 150 police officers, just to name, just for this example, is paying for one person, one firefighter, or one retired policeman to have a pension. Is that right? Is that the way it should be? Do you live for yourself? Who do you live for? Melinda asked, is this show about Ayn Rand? It is about Ayn Rand. Yes, it is about objectivism. It is also in honor of the fact that the movie is coming out. But more so, it's about where we're headed as a country. For example, to switch topics for just a moment, Bill Maher of Politically Incorrect joked on his show just a few days ago that America doesn't need government when you have Jesus. And he was poking fun at Jesus, Christianity, those of us who believe in a higher power. He's suggesting that those of us who believe in a higher power, those of us who believe in God, well, we don't need anything else. Here is the rub. Because he had it just right. You see, the reason why there is an assault on Christianity, indeed, and an assault on religion in general, is because if you have faith in God, if you have faith in a higher power, then the government is rendered impotent. The government really doesn't, doesn't matter. It's a government. It's made out of peop made up of people. But if religion is removed from the equation, then the government can step in and become your god, your lord, your master. Which is why most liberals are trying to do away with religion altogether. Especially religion and government. Religion and government going hand in hand is anathema to Democrats, to socialists. There is a reason why communist Russia for many, many decades outlawed the Bible, outlawed all forms of religion. There's a reason why in most communist countries, God doesn't exist. Everyone is encouraged to be atheist. 
because the state is God. The state is the almighty power. One should look to the state for one's solvency. That's what we're talking about here tonight. So, yeah, he did indeed stay mad. Bill Maher did invoke Jesus, but in a mocking, joking manner. Now, back to what we were talking about. My girl, Ayn Ayn Rand. Does America need Ayn Rand? Or does America need Jesus? Because Ayn Rand is everywhere, and her political opponents are growing very nervous right now. Rand, of course, is a champion of individual rights, including property rights, and the advocate. She's an advocate of laissez-faire capitalism. Walk through any Tea Party gathering, and you'll see signs such as, who is John Galt? Rand was right. And, of course, one of my personal favorites, Reed Atlas Shrugged. Paul Ryan says her... Uh, Paul Ryan says of her, um, and I quote, well, accurately, in my view, that Ayn Rand, more than anyone else, did a fantastic job of explaining the morality of capitalism, the morality of individualism. Not the collective, as the Occupy Wall Street group would have us have us believe, not collective, but individual. Isn't that what it's all about here in America, being an individual, our individual achievements? Yeah, it's fine to work in a group. It's fine to work as a team. I know all about it. I understand it. But individuals, we are made up of individuals. We're, we're, we are a collection of states. Individual states that make up a collective, but each state has its own individual feeling and flavor to it, doesn't it? You know, on this shift in the political landscape, Paul Krugman comments in a tale of two moralities that gone are the days when policy disputes were about pragmatic differences in accomplishing the same goal. Today we see differences in moral principle. One side consists of the modern welfare state, morally superior to capitalism, and the other side considers capitalism morally superior to the welfare state. Who's right? You know, what Krugman didn't say is that the extent there actually is a side today that thinks capitalism is morally superior to the welfare state. Well, thanks to Atlas Shrugged, capitalism, the unknown idea is that for, 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 for those of the Wall Street Occupy crowd or Occupy Wall Street crowd, capitalism is the enemy, the enemy. And yet the Occupy Wall Street crowd can't seem to live without it. 
everything that they are doing requires money. Nothing of what they're doing. Are they living off the land? They need money to buy tents. They need money to buy food. They need money for everything they're doing. And yet they're decrying people who have money. Irrational morality. Irrational morality. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to the C. Robert Jones Situation Report. Having trouble paying your mortgage and don't know what to do? Introducing the all-new Freddie Mac Fannie Mae, where government lending just got easier. Hello, I'm Barney Swank. In the past, did someone entice you to borrow too much money? Twick you into living above your means? Force you to lie about your income in order to get a loan? At the all-new Fenway Freddie Mac Fannie Mae, we don't care what you did or what you do. You deserve the American dream of home ownership. And now, with our all-new free market loan program, you'll never, ever be able to get a mortgage you can't pay back. We'll pay it for you, for free. The government got us into this mess, and the government will get us out. The all-new Freddie Mac Fannie Mae. We're paying back your mortgage just got a whole lot easier. That doesn't mean a thing 
Nielsen Broadcasting presents Liberals of Genius. Liberals of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. President of the United States. Mr. President of the United States. You single-handedly managed to choke all the life out of the world's greatest economy in record time. 10% no one else could have apologized more, spent more, or built a rat maze healthcare system from hell that only the IRS could love. What were you thinking? Thanks to you, FDR will be known as a conservative, Carter will look presidential, and Joseph Stalin won't seem like such a bad guy. Joe was misunderstood. So crack open a good book, sit on your butt, and help your buddies with a snowball's chance in November. Mr. President, the one we weren't waiting for. <laughs> oh, man, that's one of my favorites. Real liberals of genius. We're back with the C. Robert Jones sit rep. Yeah. Uh, we talked earlier about Ayn Rand. And how uh, everything she wrote back in 1957 pretty much is happening this very day. Not this week, not this year, but this day. I wish I had a Michelle Hussein Obama tune to put out there. By the way, the uh, parodies that I'm playing are from my main man, Paul Shanklin who does all of the parodies for the Rush Limbaugh show. And uh, I urge you, if you're interested, if you do a radio show here on Blog Talk Radio, or if you just love some good you know, political parodies, uh, to go ahead to Paul Shanklin's website. You can find him on Google. And uh, pick yourself up some copies of these fine parodies. They are, they are hilarious. And in fact... Even my liberal friends, the few that I have, <laughs> they, can't, they can't help but laugh. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. You know, rarely do I come across a liberal who happens to be an acquaintance of mine who I play uh, one or two of these parodies that they don't get it. But I do find that a lot of folks who are liberals have no idea who Barney Frank is. So when I play the Barney Frank parodies that are hilarious, they don't know who he is. They don't know who I'm who the parody is about. I find that to be quite interesting. Those damn commie bastards from the American Thinker. The old WS cattle have gone too far. No, it's not the encampments overflowing with rapists, drug dealers, Democrats, feces and rats. No, it's not the rioting in the streets or even the creepy protest signs that have no sense of humor. No, it isn't even those vendetta masks that riff off the pretentious films, which I happen to love. None of those or none of these is as painful as the street action where the unwashed cattle shut down a Burger King. A Burger King. Have they no shame whatsoever? To quote Herbert Morrison describing the 
Hindenburg disaster. Oh, the humanity. OWS was just flickering video images on the news and aging hippies spouting the usual Marxist platitudes. No, not anymore. This has now become personal. There are certain aspects of modern America that real men hold sacrosanct. Beer, which I do not drink, and when I do, it's Dos Equis. 45 caliber ball ammo. The smell of burning rubber. Donuts. Flag football. And most important, the freedom to pull into a Burger King or Mickey D's and drive off 90 seconds later with a hot double cheeseburger, fries, and a cold strawberry shake. OWS is now messing with raw fundamentals of American life. Burgers and fries are the cornerstone of our civilization. The pursuit of happiness and its serious strategic area. This is a this is a this is a this is a serious breach of American etiquette. How serious an era did these OWS comrades make? Let's look at some mid twentieth century history. After the invasion of Poland, Luftwaffe planners had de- had determined that uh, uh, sixty uh, the sixty day air campaign against the RAF air bases in the southeastern England uh, area of England would destroy the British air force. After thirty days of intensive bombardment in the spring of 1940, the RAF was barely hanging on. Fate intervened. A wayward Heichel HE-111 bombed London and killed 60 civilians. The RAF then returned the favor and bombed Berlin a couple of days later, which really ticked off the little corporal in the German high command. Hitler ordered the Luftwaffe to begin attacking London and other large cities. Instead of concentrating his bombers, on finishing off the RAF, the RAF regained the initiative, stopped the Luftwaffe and the invasion of England, and it led to the Allies' eventual victory. Closing Burger King is the Luftwaffe's version or the OS the OWS's version of the Luftwaffe. We know who's doing much of the street level work, organizing the herding of the OWS cattle into the loving embrace of the media for broadcast on the evening news. Obama's BFF and hard left progressive potster Acorn. Acorn has come back. They've come back. But here we go. Back, the OWS crowd, 
and we have my main man, Jesse Jackson, race baiter in chief, comparing the OWS movement, of course, of course, to the civil rights movement. Every damn thing that guy does, he compares to the civil rights movement. When he goes to the pot to take a pee and whip it out, he's comparing that to the civil rights movement. You know, Ralph Abernathy, the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, who, God rest his soul, is no longer with us. Well, he just, – just before he passed away, he put out all the secrets. I mean he aired the dirty laundry about how Martin Luther King was a hoe and how he would sleep with anything moving. Oh, and that little tidbit that I like best, how Jesse Jackson leaned down beside Martin after he was shot and blood was pouring everywhere. How Jesse dipped a handkerchief in the blood and then smeared it on his shirt. The, for that, the, Rev, the Reverend Ralph Abernathy was labeled senile. Like he, he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He had no idea what he was saying. He's just a crazy old man. I believe the Reverend Ralph Abernathy when he said that Reverend Jesse Jackson dipped a handkerchief in Martin's blood and then rubbed it on himself. In fact, there's a picture of Abernathy standing right there where Jesse was. You can see in the picture at the Lorraine Motel, Jesse pointing. You can see Ralph Abernathy standing over Martin. So he was there. This just tells you that the Reverend Jesse Jackson is a race-baiting piece of crap. And that's what he is. The only thing Jesse Jackson knows about MLK is how to exploit his memory for personal gain. Dozens of Occupy Atlanta protesters returned to Woodruff Park downtown Saturday, and many of them pitched tents, and saying that they plan to stay after the city's 11 p.m. deadline for them to clear out. Nearly two weeks ago, Atlanta police arrested more than 50 Occupy Atlanta protesters when the group defied the city's order to leave the park at closing time. The demonstrators who returned risked arrest as well, and they were arrested. Before nightfall, the Reverend Jesse Jackson spoke briefly to a small crowd of about 60 folks saying this movement is an extension of the Poor People's Campaign led by the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. in the 60s. He said, it's not the size of the crowd, it's the substance of the discussion. In an interview later, Jackson said the protests were voicing dissatisfaction with banks, with government policies that favor the rich, with Washington gridlock, and the lack of action helping uh, of action to help average Americans. What do they say about President Barack Hussein Obama who is fundraising and raising millions of dollars? 
He wants to raise a billion dollars for his campaign. What do they say about that? Because that money has to come from somebody who has more than $10 at a pop. He is courting millionaires and billionaires to help fund his reelection campaign. What do they say about that? Has anybody at all said anything? Yeah, signs are now creeping up all over this so-called movement, hanging President Barack Hussein Obama in effigy, along with the bankers. Michael Moore is getting turned out as well. They have finally figured out that, hey, Michael Moore, he makes uh, millions of dollars. Where is all that bread, and what is he doing with it? How come we don't have some – how come Michael Moore isn't making it rain here in Occupy Wall Street? How come P. Diddy isn't making it rain here at Occupy Wall Street? How come all these rich fat cats who are coming here saying that they understand that they're with us, how come they're not contributing to the cause with some bread, with some funds? Michael Moore, well, he talked a good game. But he didn't unass any bread. He didn't open his wallet. Nobody did. P. Diddy didn't open his wallet. Was wearing a thousand dollar pair of jeans, from what I'm told, and a Gucci watch worth about ten. Folks, <laughs> this movement has been exposed, and I love it. We got to keep the devil down in the hole. Tomorrow we're going to talk more about how we're going to do just that. I want to thank everybody for listening. Melinda, glad to see you here. When you walk through the garden, the man. 2020, you got to watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon. And Tesla. Walk the straight and narrow track. All the guests in the house. If you walk with Jesus, he stole my name. he's going to save your soul. Got to love him. You gotta keep the devil. God bless you. Way down in the hole. Let's keep the devil. He's got the fire and the fury at his command. Well, you don't have to worry if you hold on to Jesus' hand. We'll all be safe from Satan when the thunder rolls. We just gotta keep the
Happy hour isn't your average happy hour. From 2 to 5 p.m., double sliders are only a buck 25. Call it a charbroiled hour, a double beef hour, a whole lot of melty cheese hour. Call it what you want. Happy hour at Hardy's is a good call. Offer for a limited time and only between 2 and 5 p.m. Price and participation may vary. That's not included. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli? I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.